Good morning. Nice to see you all. Can we put that first slide up again that we had earlier, if we can? We're very glad you're here with us. It's one of the great things that we can say to one another as the people of God is to look each other in the eye and say, I'm very glad that you are here today. Can't do that on a screen. I'm sorry to those of you who are watching the stream. It doesn't work as well. But to look at someone in the eyes and actually say, I'm very glad that you are here and I'm very glad to be with you today is one of the things that unlocks your relational brain and gets you activated to wanting to interact with people. So I'm glad you're here. One of the, I think the mission or the vision of this church is, I'm just going to get my little thing working here, is helping people find their way back to God. And that's initially when, you know, we're all created in the image of God and we've People find their way back to God through Christ. But what I'm hoping to do today is help you, many of you, find your way back to God when you feel like you've got a little lost or you feel a little stuck in your relationship with God. And maybe you don't feel that now, but maybe you'll feel it in the future. And maybe I can give you a tool or two to help you in that. Is that okay? So we're going to start by, um, I think if I can get this thing to move. There we go. Rob spoke about from Micah that we need kindness at this time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that great definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind. Just stop there. Before you go into any of the others, just think about those two. Try and live in those two. That love is patient and love is kind. That's how we are meant to react to our world. Love is patient, love is kind. And we know that love is ultimately a person. Jesus is patient And Jesus is kind. It's always the kindness of God, Romans tells us, that leads us to change, to repentance. It's never the harshness. It's never correct doctrine. It's not Bibles being quoted at us or smacked over our heads. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you're wanting your children to change, do it with kindness. That really, really helps. Okay. So I'm going to do a slightly different approach. I'm not doing any sort of systematic teaching today. I'm going to meander and ramble around and end with a practice that I hope you will embrace and take on. But I want to lay the platform to what we're saying is this. Right beliefs don't necessarily mean right action. There are many people that believe the right things that don't do the right things. And that comes out of the Enlightenment, you know, 1500s, 1600s, the change in in the Western world, in Europe, where truth became the most important thing. How did you think right? Did you have the right truth as it applied into the church? Did you have the right doctrine? And if you had that right, that would lead to you making the right choices. And, and then we know that we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would empower us in that. So we were thinking right, making the right choices under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would be, wow, we would be those Christians. The trouble is it hasn't worked that well. Actually, history tells us it hasn't worked that well. The church of the first 300 years was far more effective than any subsequent part of the church, even though there's been great effectiveness. Because there's something that undergirds right thinking. There's something that undergirds doctrine. There's something that undergirds all of that that is key to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's love. We sang about it. 
One of the great lines in that one song, God is madly in love with you. Can you, can you turn to the person next to you and say, God is madly in love with you. Not just in love with you, he's madly in love with you. Can you do that quickly? Be embarrassed about the love of God. All right, so what happened is, in all of this is that we got right doctrine, we got right thinking, we have the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But we know ultimately truth is a person. And when we transfer that from the person onto a body of beliefs, we actually lose a whole bunch. Now, I believe in right beliefs. Please don't hear me saying we shouldn't have right beliefs or right doctrine. Please don't hear me saying we shouldn't read the Bible. We absolutely should. But the, I didn't get saved by knowing anything about the Bible. Absolute <laughs> zippo. Nothing. Nada. And God saved me. Why? But the thing that impacted me was that God loved me. For God so had right doctrine that he sent his only son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so what we've done, let's put our, can we put our little diagram up there please? That we're going to use today, it's a little confusing, but you don't have to remember it. It's just to help me teach. And for those of you who are on the stream, welcome. Um, they're going to take that image down so that you can see my face again, which I'm not sure is better. But So maybe you should just take a photograph of it, then we can work with it. And we, where you see the little skull and crossbones, that will be a very important part of where we work. All right, so this is a, this is a little thread. It's a very crude diagram. This is not covering all doctrine and all truth. This is me trying to explain something to you. Is that okay? So if you think, oh, you're missing something, I am sure I'm missing a lot. Um, but here we go with my mouse. This is where it all begins. At new birth, when we receive spiritual life from above. We need a natural birth and we need a spiritual birth. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. And you can use born again, spirit, life from above, regenerated, converted, saved. They have slight different meanings, but we know what we're talking about. This is where it starts. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus attaches himself to you because of his great love. All right? Because God was so madly in love with you that he sent Jesus to demonstrate that love and save us. So we start here, and then we... Coming to this idea here that everything that God does with us is based in the reality of His love. If we miss that, we actually miss Christianity altogether, quite frankly. And I'm, I've met people that have right doctrine, right beliefs, but they do not understand the love of God. And you've missed the point. If you throw the doctrine out, but you understand the love of God, you're more likely to grow and become the person God wants you to be. Again, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying doctrine's unimportant. All right? But this leads us to that we become disciples to Jesus. Now, I hope you know that you don't become a Christian, and then when you've been a Christian a year, you're a little mature, then you become a disciple. You become a disciple the day this happens. The disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, or whatever. So we become disciples to Jesus. The goal 
is that we would take on the character of Christ, or in language of spiritual formation, we would become like Jesus. We all okay so far? If you not, just wave your hands and we'll stop. All right? And as disciples of Jesus become part of this new family that's local, global, and eternal, and the goal is for us to come to the place of unity as the people of God. I don't know if I still have this. I might still have it in the back here. All right. Do you know, and I'm going to, hopefully I'm not offending, do you know that God is not American? He doesn't particularly care for America more than Turkey. For God so loved the world. Okay. I'm from another country, so I view things. God's, God loves America, but He loves every country. And He loves the people, actually. Not necessarily all the things. He loves the people. So it's really important we see that because we become a new family when we become followers of Jesus, when we become disciples of Jesus, when we receive new life from above. We become part of a new family that's above all other families. It's actually above your marriage. You know, the, Bible, the Bible tells us that in heaven there's no marriage. There will be a marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, that doesn't mean marriage is unimportant. It's really important. Just read Ephesians. It's really important. The point I'm trying to make is that we become part of something that is eternal. And that needs to shape us. And our character is always shaped by the people we are with. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. So here, disciples of Jesus go through spiritual formation where we are maturing, we're being transformed through disciplines, practices, equipping, training, teaching, all sorts of things. Same as in your family. You teach your kids certain things, how to have manners, how to do the dishes, how to do the washing. I taught my kids that. They didn't get it. But um, this is the process of becoming mature. And it's for the whole of our lives. We only get to maturity one day. We are in the process of maturing. All right? Are you with me so far? All right. This bit here is really important because this bit of character, character is formed when you understand who you are, that you feel secure, and you are part of your people, my people. Now, we, can, we go, can we do a, a few seconds of neuroscience? Neuroscience. You've got a right side of your brain and the left side of your brain. Now, we, you've been taught this is, the this is the logical, this is the creative. Just throw that out for a moment. This is a logical part. This side is the relational part. And in neuroscience, not Christian, neuroscience, they say that the left side of your brain works at the speed of words, and the right side of your brain works at the speed of joy. Isn't that interesting? Speed of joy. Why? Because this is your relational side. And what you have in your prefrontal cortex at the beginning is where you have your attachment. Secure love attachment. Any of you been for a marriage therapist or psycho talk about secure love attachment? That's where life begins. So when you have a child, this is what happens first. That little baby sees a mom and a dad, or as should be, smiling, full of joy. Whoa, cuckoo. That creates identity. It creates security, 
and it creates my people. And within that framework, you take on the character of your people. So your kids just do what you do in the early ages before rebellion sets in. And you did what your parents did, because it's my people. Because what you've got is a secure love attachment that happens in the first part of your brain. Gives you identity, security, my people. And you will notice your kids will do what you do. They don't even think about it. Why? Because character is in this relational side of your brain, which is subconscious. It just happens. If you have to think about it, it's too late. So when we talk about taking on the character of Christ, which for me a great reference to that is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. That's the character of Christ. When Jesus talks about that you will bear fruit, I believe he starts there. There are other things, but he starts there. You want that to be that you act like Jesus even when you're not thinking about it. So, for example, using the word that Rob brought, if you have to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I better be kind today, it is not yet part of your character. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do that. But when it's part of your character, you will just be kind because that's what you do. Does that make sense to you? That's brain science. Character is formed in this side of your brain. The trouble is we spend a lot of time on this, and I'm into this in a big time. You know, me, for some of you have heard I'm a Dallas Willard fan. It's all about spiritual disciplines. I'm there. But when you have a problem on the right side of your brain, you can't necessarily fix it with a left brain solution. You have to start in your right brain. And that's why we're going to talk about this is our spiritual discipline for today, gratitude. We'll get to it in a moment. So if, you, if you're like me, who comes from a dysfunctional, broken home, some of you might have heard my, my dad is whatever, I did not have this. I did not have a secure love attachment. From a lower class family, my mom had to work hard to make ends meet, so I didn't have that. I lived with my grandparents and that, whatever. I did not have this. That doesn't mean I didn't have attachments. I just did not have secure love attachments. I had attachments to other things because we will get attached to something. And so I got attached to my grandfather, who's an angry, he was an angry man. Guess what I became? Because I just became like him. Because my identity was tied up into that. My security was in that. Because if I got angry, I'd know who I was and I could protect myself. And my people were angry people. All right. In this year, when this is wrong, you can't have real joy. And what we want is joy. The kingdom of God is in Romans 14 is righteousness, peace, and joy. Nehemiah tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. So that our goal in, in following Jesus is to live in the place of joy. Now, joy is not necessarily an emotion. Joy is a state of being that you find yourself in, so you could find yourself really upset, but still have joy, and that joy enables you to deal with the emotion. If you don't have joy that comes from a secure love attachment, you might think, you're a psychologist, you're supposed to be a pastor, talk about Bible things, I am, this is all in the Bible. 
you look for false joy. And I've looked for false joy everywhere. Drugs, alcohol, sugar, porn, you name it. All of those give you false highs. Because we need to find joy. It's built into our systems to have joy. And if you don't get it properly, you'll get it somewhere else. So I jumped out of airplanes, 850 skydives. I rode fast bikes. I dived with sharks. I've, I've done, you name it. I would never have said I was trying to kill myself. But I wanted to live life at the edge because I could not find joy in, in who I was. And then one day, no Bible, no doctrine. Jesus met me. And what happened there? My life changed. Why? Because suddenly I got a new love attachment. Suddenly someone liked being with me. Jesus liked being with me. He loved me. Guess what happened? I suddenly discovered, oh, wow. I'm not, a, I'm not just a throw-out person. I actually have meaning. Guess what happened? I suddenly felt, whoa, I'm, I feel more secure. Suddenly I found my people, the church. And I felt love. And these people in the church loved me. They just loved me unconditionally with all my rubbish, without any doctrine. They loved me, and I began to respond. And so I began to do what they did. Why? Because I felt secure. And these were my people. So if these were my people, I must do what my people did. So they went out on Friday nights and Saturday mornings on the streets to talk about Jesus. So what did I do? I went on the streets on Friday nights and Saturday mornings to talk about Jesus. They gave of their money, so I gave of my money. I didn't need a doctrine for it. It was just I began to do what my people did. Now, some of those things were wrong. But the point is, I found meaning. And I became a disciple to Jesus. And all these things started happening. And I grew like a weed. Just, you know, grew. You're going to be a leader. All these things. But one day, skull and crossbones happened. Skull and crossbones is you hit the wall. Got saved, all excited. Confidence in Christ. My people. I was doing things in ministry. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was memorizing. My house was full of stickers on the wall with scriptures. I was giving money to the poor. I was serving, putting chairs out, cleaning toilets, welcoming people at the door, whatever it was. Nothing was too great. And then they gave me a home group, and I was leading a home group and helping people. And then one day, it just felt I got stuck. Have you ever felt that? Feel like you've been doing this, and then you feel like, oh, I don't feel like I'm progressing. I don't know what's happening. And then I'd go talk to the leaders, and they say, you should pray more. Read your Bible more. Serve more, give more, go on a missions trip, go feed the poor, do something. You'll feel. And so you do that, and you come back to the wall, and you feel stuck. And they say, eventually, what's happening is people get to the wall after a number of times and just say, this doesn't work for me, I'm deconstructing, I'm out of here. Ouch. The world is filled with people like that. 
because they got, where's my thing? They got stuck there in this bit. Are you with me so far? We okay? All right. <clears throat> Go back to this diagram. So how do we get out of that? How do we, how do we fix that? I want to suggest this. We have to get this, I'm going to call it a circuit, is that all right, or this connection or whatever. We have to get this connection working again. Now, do you think when you feel stuck here, and for those on the stream, I'm pointing at the skull and crossbones, when you get stuck there, do you think God has gone anywhere? Do you think he's left you? Do you think he's abandoned you? Now, you've got to you, you, put your flag up here. Do you, yes or no? no? Okay. Question. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that theologically, or do you actually believe that when it's, when it's on the ground and you don't feel God, He's not speaking to you? Do a test and see where you're at. We often feel, where's God? He's not speaking to Him anymore. It feels so distant. Actually, what's really happened is that we have become... Or we've sep not separated ourselves, that's the wrong word. But it's kind of our, we've got a block against the issue that God loves me. Now, I want to come to this word love because it's really important to understanding this. That word love, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the primary word for love is chesed. And in the New Testament, we have agape. Or agape. All right? Now, that word is translated love in many ways because England, um, English is such a terrible language trying to capture these ancient languages. So this word love, actually, I, I got this I spent, four weeks ago. I spent an hour and a half with an Old Testament Hebrew scholar, Dr. McCrary, who was a lecturer in, in this stuff. And we spoke about the word hesed. And actually what it means is an attachment word, and it means to be glued. It's a covenant word. To be glued. So when you come through this process here, and God loves you, He glues Himself to you in covenant. It's that glue that cannot be broken. So when God enters covenant with you, when God sets His affection on you, when God loves you, that's glued. It, he's not going anywhere. It's a secure love attachment. That's what enables you to know who you are, to be secure, and to be with your people. But as you know with your kids, we go through phases where my parents don't love me. And you, sometimes you feel disconnection. All these things happen. We feel that as humans, under the hand of God, we feel this. Now, just for interest's sake, the word agape is the Greek word that they try to give meaning to the word hesed, which again doesn't, when the, it doesn't, it actually means glued. It's a covenant love. It's not a feeling. No, it doesn't mean feelings unimportant. But these words are about gluing. There's a wonderful uh, text in Lamentations. Anyone read Lamentations lately? We sing about it a lot, actually. No, this. I remember my affliction, I won't go into all of those, and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. 
Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I bring back to remembrance. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. The word Lord there, does anyone know what it is in in Hebrew? Sorry? Yahweh. Yahweh is the personal name of God that God himself gave to Moses in the beginning of Exodus at the burning bush when Moses asked, who should I say to the people is the one who's sending me? And God said, I am who I am. Yahweh, the personal name of God, who is the ever-present, now, covenant-keeping God, who can never break with you, that's the God who then talks about, because of the Lord's great love, chesed, glued love. So the gluing God is glued to us with glued love. What does that mean? He's glued to you. It means he's not going anywhere. It means he's never going to abandon you. So when you understand that and you read Romans, what can separate us from the love of God? Anybody? Nothing. So when you're going through, you feel stuck, or you feel you're at a wall, you feel, I wonder if God's here. I'm not feeling like I'm hearing God. I'm not hearing God. We start with this, we remind ourselves God is glued to us, and now we have to figure out how to connect to that, which is what we're going to do over here in a moment. So, are we okay? Is this making sense? Now I'm hoping that you will go home somewhere and do some homework on this and dig into some of these things and see that, you know, oh, I didn't see that. I, I, I'm leaving lots out, but I'm hoping that you'll get the big picture. John 15, we know the text is about abiding with Christ, the vine. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And as I said to the first group, my, interp- my, my version of that, it doesn't matter which way you go, you're going to get the chop. So choose which one you want. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What, do you, what is that word? Have you ever thought about it? We are clean because of the word he spoke to us. What is that word? Do you think it's maybe he loves us? It's one thing. It could be multiple. But it's worth thinking through that. Remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Do you think it ties into any of this here? Stay glued to me as I'm, my vernacular, as I'm glued to you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See the picture coming together? What is the fruit? What fruit is Jesus talking about? The character of Christ. Now, I could include getting people saved. It could include a lot of things. But at the heart of what Jesus is always talking about, because he's a rabbi, and he's bringing people into his orb to teach them who he is to become like him so that they can do naturally the things he would do, we're talking about the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Apart from your connection remaining with Jesus, you can't produce fruit because you will get into works of, I need to be kind, I need to be loving. But when you remain with Him, you become like the vine and you take on the character of Christ and it becomes what you do. Now, I want to suggest that a real good test of seeing where you are in your walk with Jesus and are you taking on his character is how do you love your enemies? See, love is the basis of everything that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's three levels of love. We're called to love our spouse. Husbands, love your wives. I'm assuming wives are supposed to love their husbands. Is that right? This is how they will know you, my disciple, the love you have for one another. That's love. Love your enemies in the Sermon on the Mount. And 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do it in love. So basically, life is set in the understanding of love, which is agape, chesed love. Is that okay? So, if we want to know how we're doing here, just see how you naturally, without thinking, respond to your enemies. And Jesus demonstrated that many, many times. Do you think Jesus on the cross thought, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm Jesus. Oh, oh, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they're doing. Do you think he thought like that? Do you just think it flowed out of him because that was his character? And we see the way he interacted with the woman and the well, the Samaritan woman, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. All of those is God, Jesus teaching us about what it is to love our neighbors. And those were the people that were really close by. They weren't on the other side of the world. Samaritans were right there. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from you, you can do nothing. Apart from me. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Just that word wither has always, well, at least in the last season, grabbed me because I've watched so many followers of Jesus wither, fall away. Because they lost this bit here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that an amazing scripture? It's when we are like Jesus, then Jesus asked his father, and he did. He saw what his father's doing, he did it. That will apply to us. So I want to talk. This, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain. In his love. And I'll, I'll stop there, but if you jump to, back to John 14, who are the ones that do what Jesus wants them to do, who obey him? The one. If you love me, you will obey me. The ones who don't love me won't obey me. The Great Commission is going to all the world. I am with you. I've got all authority. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. At the essence of that obedience is how to love, I believe. At the core of it, there's many things, but at the core. If you are not in a secure love relationship, it's almost impossible to obey the way that God wants us to. So in that same text, in John 14, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. 
Because a servant, you better obey. Because you're my servant, you do it. But when we are friends, we have taken on that character. There's a mutual connection. We just do because that's what we do. Anybody confused? I hope if you are, listen to it again, ask questions. I'm trying to rush through this. So how do we get this back when this, that relational circuit or that awareness of God has gone? And we, we feel stuck. Now, there are many ways. I'm giving you one because this is all around spiritual disciplines, this little series that's happening. And I want to say that some of these here, pray more, read your Bible more, fast more, be solitude and silence more, all of those are not necessarily going to help you, even though they are fantastic things. So, is that all right? Because when you get this back, then these work better. Because this bit here is on the right side of your brain, these are on your left side of your brain. And you're stuck on your right side of the brain. You're trying to get your relational circuits with God up and running. So, I want to suggest gratitude. <clears throat> Thankfulness. Have you ever done, if you ever feel like you're angry with your spouse, for example? Anybody ever been angry with their spouse? Oh, this is a wonderful church. No one gets angry with their spouse. When you're angry with your spouse... If you started by just have a break, step back, then step back into the space, take 30 seconds, step back in the space and say, I'm just using you. Your name is? Christy, because you're right in front of me. Is that okay? Christy, I'm so glad actually to be in your presence. I'm so glad you're my wife. I'm so thankful for the way that you have done this or that. Do you know how hard it is to be angry right then? Because thankfulness is an amazing discipline, an amazing tool, an amazing thing that actually crosses both sides of our brain to bring us back into connection. Read the ends of many of Paul's letters, and you'll see how often he connects prayer and thankfulness together. I'm going to read one here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I'm giving that background so that we can, we're going to do an exercise. We did it this morning, and it was really wonderful with the first group. That's a really important thing to what God wants to do. If you turn to Philippians, how many of you struggle with anxiety? I do. This last season has been a rough season. I found out something. I'm 63. I found out something two months ago. I was going to the doctor, and this is, I didn't say that, and my kids said to me, Dad, please speak to the doctor, ask them to put you on something. So I spoke to my doctor, and we did the test, and I discovered at 62, because I turned 63 in June, that I have ADHD, and now I'm on Adderall. Man, it's been amazing. I am more focused. I would have had three PhDs if I'd known this sooner. <laughs> Listen to this, Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. If you just leave it at that, it's like the worst advice ever. 
It's the worst advice. Don't be anxious. You know, I did that many times. People come for pastoral care. Don't be anxious. It does not help anybody. They are stuck. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present yourself to God. Now, I'm going to come back to another thing. If you just pray about it without thanksgiving, you can still remain stuck. But thanksgiving unlocks the relational bit. Don't, but I don't want you to believe me. I want you to go give it a try. When you find yourself, I want you to give it a try. Become thankful, and we'll do the exercise. But before it says, do not be anxious about anything, there are four wonderful little words. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. God is always with you, even if you're not aware of it, even if you feel stuck, even if you feel you're at a wall. God is always with you. Now, I've left lots of out because I've got that thing that's ticking down there. Um, let me see the, okay, we're going to do an exercise. Again, as I said, there's no introduction to this. There's no conclusion, really. It's just a bunch of thoughts that I hope you will grab. Now, if you have pen and paper, if you could take it out. If you don't, would you take out your phone? If you don't have that, your iPad. Some sort of way to be able to write, type something out. Is that okay? We're going to do an exercise. And I'm hoping that this will become part of your regular life. All right, so here it is. So let's call this texting with God. Is that all right? We're going to say something like, Dear God, I am so thankful for what blah, 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 blah. Could be something happened this morning, something happened in the past, da, 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 da. All right? But don't write yet. Just let me finish. Don't make it long. It's not, you're not writing an essay to God. You're just giving in God a quick thought. And the reason we want to do it like that is so that you can do it on a regular basis wherever you are. So, dear God, I am so grateful. I am so thankful for whatever. Then, you're going to take a moment, a minute, and you're just going to allow whatever comes to your thoughts, and then you're going to write a response. And that's, What was it? Christy? You're going to say, my dearest Christy, this is God speaking back to you. What do you think God would say to you in response to your thankfulness? Is that okay? I'll give you an example. So we did this, we've been doing this, but we did it last week. I wrote, uh, dear Father, thank you so much for that time 41 years ago where out of the blue you showed me your love and you saved me and made me part of your family. That's what I wrote. Just oh. And I sat with it, and then I wrote, My dear Terry, you don't know how much I loved you. You don't know how much I waited for that day for you to see the lights turn on. Welcome. Okay, that's what I did. Now, you're going to do the same. Is that all right? If you don't want to do it, it's America. You don't have to. <laughs> all right? But I want you, I, I think this will help you. And we did it in the first thing, and I think it was helpful. So, dear God, this is what I'm thankful for. My dear Christy, or your name, what do you think God would respond to that? Just see what runs in your mind. Is that okay? And we'll come back together in a few minutes.
Remember, don't, think of, don't make it a big thought process, just... Right, how are we doing? Are we right? Can we move on? Just for time? No. Okay, Rob. One of the leaders is telling me no, so I don't look at Ryan at these times. Okay, we're going we're gonna to stop there just for time's sake. All right, so you've got, dear God, I'm thankful. Dear Christy, dear, this is the, what you think God would say. So I want to ask a question. Is there anybody that's going to be brave? In our first meeting, it was Dottie, I think, who said they will actually read theirs to us, to the whole. Is anybody who wants to do that? Thank you. Your name, sir? Joe. Joe, thank you. think about that? <laughs> Question. Do you think that sounded like God? Do you think that's how God would respond? Okay, do you, were those Joe's thoughts or were those God's thoughts? Or does it matter? The Bible says that we need to get the mind of Christ. On the right side of the brain, you know, husbands and wives, have you ever had this where you can talk to each other without saying anything and you know exactly what you're thinking? Ever had that? You know when you first get married, and then later you can drive for hours and there's communication and no words. It's called mutual mind state. It's all on the right side of your brain. You can have that with God. And the idea is that our thoughts become God's thoughts and His thoughts become our thoughts until we don't know whose thoughts it is. But that, that would be what God would say, don't you think? Joe said, I'm so thankful for my family. And God says, you suck, brother. Do you think, <laughs> do you think that would be God? I don't think so. So suddenly, oh, that, that's, God would say that. But here's what happened. You all smiled. Well, most of you. Your spirits lifted. You gave him a little applause. Why? Because joy entered the room. And what we're trying to do is return our lives to joy. Now, throw, I didn't say this this morning, it's really important. Joy in the Bible, often, because again, the words don't translate into English. You would have Bibles this thick if they'd explain. But joy is always associated with the smiling face of God. God smiles upon you. 
Exodus 6, another thing. May the Lord shine, make His face to shine upon you. That's joy. Anybody else want to do it? We're going to do it. If we can do two or three. Okay, your name, sir? John. Okay, John. Just loud so we can hear. Do you think that sounds like God? Do you think so? Now you, you might be thinking to yourself, this is such a stupid exercise. But I hazard a guess you're not. Because people are speaking from themselves. They're saying, oh, this I'm thankful for. It puts you in a place to hear. When you're not thankful, sometimes you get, you're stuck here. But when you're thankful, you become aware of God's presence again. Joy sets in, and we, this attachment re- reignites. Anybody else? Your name? Julia. Julia. Thank you, Julia. the same question. Do you think that sounds like God? No, was that Julia's thoughts or was that God's thoughts? One more person. Okay, your name? Amanda. Amazing, yeah. Now, one of the terrible things is we sit in this fashion. If we were sitting in the round, you would look at other people's faces in their eye and you'd see them full of joy and smiling and happy by what was shared. Because the smiling face of God is going to come through through another person. It's going to reset your relational circuits here and enable you to be unglued. I mean, to be unstuck from where, where, where you feel like you've hit a wall. Now, I want to encourage you, before you go, do that with somebody. Tell somebody. You can do this with your kids. Do it often. Get into this place of appreciation. And what do you think God would say? But here's the amazing thing that's happening. Not only are you feeling God's presence, not only are you feeling God's joy, but you are hearing it among your people. This is what my people, this is the kind of thing my people would say because they have the same God. So when you find yourself in a place that you're really stuck and you feel like you've done this and it's, you're feeling still, you can come to your people and ask them to pray for you because you know they're going to kind of say the things that God would say because they're your people. Now, we could, this should be a, we could do five, six-part series on all of this stuff. I hope I've given you an introduction to something that will help you. This is a great spiritual practice to connect your brain and to become aware that God is with you and He wants to speak to you. 
You know the scripture, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts? We always think, oh, God is just so big, different from us. I went and reread that text. And yes, he's so much bigger, but I believe God is inviting us into a place where his thoughts and his mind becomes ours, and ours become his. And become more and more aware of what God is doing. So please do it before you go. Do it with one another, husband and wife, friends. Do it, just do it and see what God says, but then begin to practice it on a more regular basis. And when you want to do it with your spouse or with somebody, start with, it's so, I'm so glad to be with you. Look at them in the eyes and do it. Is that okay? Are we all right with that?